Uh, we have been in this series that is centered around Matthew's, uh, Matthew's writings in chapters 5, 6, and 7. We've come to know them, these chapters, as the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins with Jesus basically saying, here's the God-approved life. He talks about a, a blessed life being one that's uh, marked by someone being poor in spirit, understanding that spiritually we got nothing, and God, uh, by his grace, gives us what we have. Um, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who understand that sin, bad. <laughs> Not sin, bad, the sailor. Anyway, sin is bad. And, and sin is something that we should be uh, grieving over and we should be seeking to put to death in us as we seek to honor God. And then he, he kind of launches into the, uh, the, the blessed life and he says, the blessed life is marked by someone who tries to be like God in how they live. Because every one of the, the blessings is a descriptor of the God that we serve. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God is holy and, and right. Uh, blessed are the merciful. Everybody grateful for a God who is merciful? Uh, blessed are you who are pure in heart. Our God is pure. And, and blessed are those who seek his purity. Uh, blessed are the peacemakers. God is a peacemaker. Uh, he goes from there and he, he kind of uh, answers a question that maybe was on the hearts of people. Are you going to just completely wreck the Jewish religion, uh, the, the system that we've all grown up in? Because it sounds like you're this radical, this rebel. And Jesus says, no, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came to fulfill them. And, and, and listen, <laughs> I want you to know that if, if you don't change your thinking and how you've lived out what God has set out for you in the Old Testament, in the things that he's revealed to you, then you're going to miss the kingdom altogether. And so he starts in where we are now. In this series that we're calling, It's Not What You Think. He's, he's like, hey man, you've thought this, but I'm telling you, it's this. And he, he takes the bar that people are uh, you know, guilty of lowering in their pursuit of God and his best for their lives. And he says, let's pick it up and put it up to here and understand that these are the hopes that he has for us. Yeah, we're, we're prone to that, like, right? We're, we're prone to seeing things and not understanding them at first glance. I've had a lot of fun looking for pictures online that kind of, you know, portray this. And here's the one I found this week. I don't know. Uh, this person was shopping, found an eggplant that looks like Bob Hope, right? Uh, that'd be fun. Uh, but uh, uh, that, that was the problem here in the crowd that Jesus was teaching. They had they had taken the word of the Pharisees and the scribes as to what God's law was really saying, and they had adopted things from them. And, and Jesus was here, was like, listen, unless your righteousness exceeds that of these scribes and these Pharisees, you'll never sniff the kingdom. Uh, today, we're going to get into an area that is certainly uh, a part of human existence. We're going to talk about paybacks, all right? Um, before I do that, though, who, who grew up in like the, the 70s, 80s, and 90s, maybe before screens became more prevalent? When you went traveling somewhere with your families, you had to like do something to occupy your time. So we, we created all these games you could play while you're driving. Who's ever played the alphabet game? Anybody ever played the alphabet game? If you don't know what it is, pretty simple. You just look at signs and cars that are driving by. It can't be within the car. That's the rule. But you, you just try to find the letters of the alphabet, and whoever completes the alphabet first wins nothing, right? And then... Uh, Another game like it was a license plate game, right? You try to find all the license plates, and whoever gets the most license plates before you stop at McDonald's, again, gets nothing. Um, parents love this one, the quiet game. Did anybody ever play the quiet game? Yeah, <laughs> Jimmy likes the quiet game, yeah. Uh, our, our, my sisters and I figured out pretty early on, this isn't really a game. This is just them wanting a break. And so 
we would intentionally lose the quiet game. Did anybody just toss the game? Just, I'm just totally tossing this one, Dad. I lose. Let's keep talking. Anyway, uh, uh, there's some other games. Uh, there's a game that I won't go into called Doorknob. If you know what it is, you know what it's about. Uh, <laughs> and then there's another game that uh, we played. And, and I think about this game, and I'm like, where did this come from? It was called Punch Buggy or Slug Bug. Did everybody play Punch Buggy or Slug Bug? It, 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 if you're not familiar with this game, it's just crazy. Who came up with this? There was a time in the world where like every fourth car was a Volkswagen Beetle, all right? And if you found on the road a Volkswagen Beetle, you could say in the back seat of your panel wagon, punch buggy red, you had to say the color for some reason, all right? Punch buggy red, and if you said punch buggy red, uh, you could turn and punch the people near you. Usually in this region, right? Couldn't go for the face. That was kind of a general understood rule. But you could like slug someone, your brother, your sister. I mean, I was the, I was the brother of two sisters. This is my one shot. They were like hands off the rest of the time. I was not allowed to punch my sisters. But when we played slug buggy, free game. It was awesome. I loved that game. Now, there was this one rule in punch buggy, and, and I'm, I'm guessing it uh, you know, arose because of what we're going to talk, today, talk about today. Um, you had to say the, the color of the car, red punch buggy or slug bug red or whatever, and, and then you could punch them. But while you're punching them, you had to say this, no paybacks. Did anybody remember this rule? You got to know this rule arose in some family because, you know, big brother got punched. And he's like, we're not having any of that. And he just started wailing on the guy who was, you know, uh, rightfully, you know, punching him playing slug bug. Uh, no paybacks meant can't hit me back. This, this is an understandable rule. We as a race love to get even. In fact, we even create a saying about that, right? I don't get mad. I get even. Okay, lean in. This is our first lean in moment of the morning. Even is never even. Does everybody understand that? We think as long as I get my retribution, uh, you know, we'll, we'll complete this transaction and, and, and we'll be even. But history has told us. Go to the Middle East or other war-torn regions. History has told us. Go to the, the Hatfields and the McCoys. Remember them from history class? Just when one side of, of the, uh, you know, the conflict sensed, okay, now we're whole, now we're even, the other side would be like, well, no, that's not even. And then they would come back and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth we'd go. Even's never even. And that's why Jesus teaches what he teaches today uh, to those who would follow him, to those who would enter the kingdom of heaven. He's like, listen, if you want to be with God and, and be a part of his kingdom, if you want to be like God, you've got to understand. No paybacks. Now, some of you are already paused and are like, Mark, no paybacks? Let me put it this way. In almost every relational situation, there might be times where we have to defend ourselves or defend our families. I'm not saying that those don't exist, but in almost every relational situation, the chief aim in any conflict is to return evil with good, to, to face hate with love. And I know you don't like it. You're human. I don't like it either. I want my pound of flesh. I want revenge. But over and over in our scripture, God tells us, no, we love. All right, let's get to the text. Here we go. 
In verse 38 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has already taught on things like murder and adultery. He's talked about oaths and promises. He's talked about, um, gosh, all these things. But now he's going to move on to revenge, retribution. And he says this, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Who's heard that verse before? Anybody heard that verse before, right? Um, Common. Common, just so we know, in almost every law code that exists from, from ancient times. The, 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 the Latin term for this is lex talionis. Everybody say lex talionis. Nice. Lex talionis means law of retribution. Uh, when, when this was written in the Hebrew code, it was written for the courts to be able to help or limit uh, it, or help in limiting uh, the extent of punishment that would be given for certain crimes. For instance, uh, the, the, the crime should fit the punishment. If you jaywalk, you should not spend your life in prison. Does everybody agree with me on that? Can we all? We just, we just went diagonal across the street. That's not worthy. And so, so God says to the courts of Israel, he says, hey, guys, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand in other places, foot for a foot. Whatever was done, the, the, the just punishment should be commensurate to what was done. Don't go. And, and, and we understand how important laws that limit are, right? We're all going to get in cars here after we're done, and we're going to drive down roads that have these cool little lights hanging over the top of intersections called stoplights. And can we all agree that apart from those, especially on roads like you know, 60 and all these other places, it would be chaos. In fact, sometimes we come to those intersections and that thing ain't working. And, and who's, who's te- you know, uh, whose stress levels kind of go up a little bit when that's happening? Anybody been there? Who, who goes next? I don't know what the rules are. I just wait for the light. So we all understand green means go, yellow means punch it, right? And red, it's not true. If you're a young driver and your parents are sitting back to you saying, no, he's a liar. I'm not always a liar. I'm confessing that that's not true. Slow down. Anyway, and then red means stop, and we're grateful for that. Okay. Everybody get what I'm saying? Here's what the Pharisees had done with this important legal tenet in, in, in the Old Testament. They had taken it out of the courts, and they had brought it into their personal relationships. And instead of it being something that limited them, it was something that emboldened them. It, it, it entitled them to retribution. See, God said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And so if you offend me, I get to offend you back. If you say something nasty about me online, I get to go down to the comments and light you up. <laughs> it's tit for tat. It's, it's eye for an eye. It's tooth for a tooth. It's right there in the word. What they were doing, though, is what so often happens with all of us as humans, anybody here ever taken, uh, taken advantage of maybe a loophole or maybe a loose-worded uh, law and said, see, I'm, I'm entitled to do this. Every hand should be up in the air right now. It's just how we roll. It's how we, we, we just look for the advantage when it comes to the code. The Pharisees saw this part of the code and ignored another part. In Leviticus chapter 19, it says this in verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall wait for it. See if you've heard this one before. What? Love your neighbor as yourself. I seem to have heard that before. Jesus was questioned one day, what's the most important law? And he quotes a version of this from Deuteronomy. He says, listen, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. See, there's certain laws that supersede other laws. Eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was meant to flow through, filter through this 
higher command for love. Why does Jesus tell us to love instead of seek revenge? A couple reasons. We're going to find out at the end of the sermon, revenge is God's business. Don't be pushing God off his throne when it comes to justice occurring in your life. Let him take care of it for you. We'll talk about that later. But I think the even greater reason that Jesus says, no, we don't seek revenge, we, we love, is that he is trying to draw us out of a fleshly existence, a life that's marked by you know, self and, and self-preservation, into a life that resembles him and his father. Raise your hands if anybody here is grateful that God does not live by eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There would be no one in here with any eyes or any teeth. Does everybody grit that? None of us. Could, could live, exist apart from the love, the mercy, and the grace of a God who lives to honor and seeks wherever possible. Doesn't, he doesn't let go of his justice, but he's patient and, and, and long-suffering with us. I mean, everything should have ended in the garden, right? The Bible should only be three chapters long. Everybody gets that, right? Because when Adam and Eve sin, it should just be like, we're done here. That would have been the just thing for do. But because God is loving and gracious and merciful, even in the face of sin, he's already enacting this side of his character. In fact, I would argue that when people say, why did God allow sin? It's so that we could understand that this is his nature, to love despite, to return good for evil. And so it is that Jesus lifts up this standard because here's what he says. How do we react when we are wronged by another? He says in verse 38, we just read it, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Quick clarification, there will be times where you will be justified in defense. On a week where we're going to celebrate Veterans Day, there are times where a nation's army has to rise up and defend its values and protect its citizens. I'm not saying that there's never times where we don't defend ourselves. But, oh, and let me throw this one in. Uh, certainly, there's other verses in Scripture that talk about uh, 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 an evil one, capital E, capital O, called the devil, Satan. And it says very clearly in James 4 and in 1 Peter 3, uh, or excuse me, First Peter 5, resist the devil, resist the evil one. I'm not talking about us just kind of, you know, okay, and becoming doormats for all the evil that's in the world. I'm not saying, everybody gets that, right? But like I said at the beginning, in most situations where offense occurs, where we are wronged, we should understand that God's hope for us in those things is to not resist the ones who are evil, to not return evil for evil, but to give love instead. Put another, another way, we return good to those who are evil toward us. Now let me skip down to the, the examples that, that Jesus gives. It starts here in verse 39. He's going to give four kind of distinct, here's what I mean. He's going to start with one of the more, uh, more familiar ones. Uh, most of us, even if we aren't familiar with the rest of the Bible, we've heard this just because it's used often. Um, and, and what this first one is going to teach us is that uh, uh, when, when insulted, we need to fight back with love, with forgiveness instead of further insult. Who's heard this next phrase in, in Matthew 5, 39? It says this, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other one also. Anybody heard that one? 
Yeah, of course you have. A lot of you grew up in the church and you're familiar with this one. Uh, are you like me? Are you kind of sloppy with verses? Here's what I mean. You kind of leave certain words out. And, and, and in certain cases, that can really alter your understanding of this verse. Anybody ever said, just turn the other cheek? Okay, if you get hit on the cheek, turn the other cheek. That's kind of what we say. And we leave out this very important word, the right cheek. Everybody see that? It's in your Bibles. If someone slaps you on, everybody point to your right cheek. Thank you. Then turn him and the other one also. So give him the left one, right? Right, left. Very, very significant in Jesus' teaching. Because if you're right-handed, put your hand up in the air if you're right-handed. Look at all you guys. We are by far the dominant. Uh, lefties, sorry, just live in our wake. That's all you do. Anyway, uh, but right-handers are, are the dominant, uh, you know, uh, people in, in, in all of existence throughout all history. So in the culture that Jesus is speaking to, if you wanted to hit someone on the right cheek and you were right-handed, how'd you have to hit them? Back of your hand. Waka! Right? Can't hit them like this with your right hand. Most people, a, a strike on the right cheek was a strike with the back of your hand. Still is to this day one of the, the greatest ways that you can insult or degrade a person uh, in, in that culture. You're basically saying you're not even worth a fight. You're just getting my, the back of my hand. You're beneath me, below me. I am superior to you. You're not even worth my time. In that culture, uh, where it's kind of loosely tied to like a caste system, there's the haves and the have-nots, people, if they got the backhand, they wouldn't fight back. But they would walk away insulted. Who's ever walked away insulted from a situation? Anybody ever had that dialogue in your head going on after someone's kind of offended you? Some of us just let it go. I was in a a, a car repair shop yesterday getting my my daughter's car fixed, and um, I was just putting the keys, you know, across the table to the guy, and and some dude came from, you know, waiting, and I'm not saying he didn't have a gripe. If it's true that he had been there since 2 o'clock, it was about 6 o'clock. His car, he's, this, but here's what he did. He just started losing his mind. This is outrageous. I've been here since 2 o'clock, and my car isn't even up in the air yet. It's still sitting where I parked it. Where's the manager? And everybody in the room's going like, whoa, what is going on? But that guy felt insulted. Kind of like you're going to feel when you go to lunch and that, that table that got sat 10 minutes after you gets their food before you do. How, whoa. How is this even possible? Ooh, you just look past me and give them their food. Ooh. And, and all of a sudden, what do we look for? Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. Who can I complain to? I've been insulted. Jesus says, no, settle down. Probably, it's not that big a deal. And regardless, the command in this situation is love and patience. He's going to go further. He's going to take it next to court. He's going to say this. He's going to say, hey, guys, uh, when you're unjustly accused, fight back with generosity. In verse 40, it says this. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Maybe you've heard this one, too. It's all in the same run of these verses. Okay, you got to understand wardrobes back then to understand this one. Most people didn't have lots of options when it came to their clothing, not big closets. Our closets are as big as some of the old houses. Isn't that crazy? But uh, most people just had the shirt on their back and then an overcoat called a cloak. The tunic was kind of like a nightshirt from, you know, the 1800s. It would be an open-bottomed kind of dress-looking thing that would come down to here. And the cloak, like uh, Joseph had a, a multicolored one. It would be the top coat. 
And if you got into a, you know, a, a, a conflict with someone and, 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 and they you know, uh, basically incurred damages on you, you could go to court and you could sue them for their tunic. You could take their undershirt. Maybe they had one more of those, but you could literally sue a guy for the shirt on his back. But there is a law in the book of Exodus 22 that says you shall not take another man's cloak. In fact, you can remove it from him for a time to, to embarrass him or to you know, punish him, but by nightfall, you have to return the guy's coat to him. Why? Because in those days, no blankets, or at least certainly not for the poor. They had their tunic, they had their cloak, and if they wanted to sleep at night and kind of stay warm in any way, they would need their cloak to be a blanket for them, right? So that's what makes this jump off the page or, or you know, mark uh, in, a, in, a, in a more meaningful way for the people who are listening to Jesus at this time. He's saying, listen, I know it's legal for people to take you to court and sue you for your tunic, but here's what I want you to do in that situation. Even though you're not legally bound to give them your cloak, and even if you did, they would have to give it back to you at night. What he's saying to them is, hey, guys, just give them both. Be generous. Don't just turn the other cheek. Lavish. This is called grace. Everybody gets grace, right? Grace is giving something to someone who does not deserve anything from you. Mercy is, Marty comes up here and punches me on the side of the face, and I turn the other cheek, and I say, that's okay. That's mercy. I don't hit him back. Grace is, Marty punched me in the cheek, and I give him my wallet and my iPad, and here's the keys to my car. That's grace. He deserves, in our economy, in, in the earthly understanding, he deserves a punch in the face. Jesus already ruled that one out, right? But now he says, go beyond. Go further. Whose mind is just getting like, right now? Is anybody feeling that? This doesn't make any human sense. But Jesus is saying, hey, man, give grace. I was an eighth grader, and I got assigned the book Les Miserables, or as most of us call it, Less Miserables. <laughs> I had to read that book before I ever saw the play or the movie. But I remember as a 13, 14-year-old kid still being marked by one of the the centerpieces of uh, the book. Uh, if you don't know the story, this guy named Jean Valjean is a, a poor man in France. He, he steals some bread uh, for his family and gets thrown in jail for it. He, he tries to get back to his family to be able to provide for them and, 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 and tries to escape from prison, his bad. But ultimately, for stealing a loaf of bread, he ends up spending 19 years in prison. He finally gets out. He's an ex-con. He, he has no means by which to provide for himself. His family has long since left him behind. And so uh, he's angry, uh, poor, uh, and, and just ready to pop off. He, he finds a, a, a church parish in this countryside uh, there in France, and, and he, he asks them uh, for a place to stay. They feed him. They give him a place to stay in the middle of the night. Uh, he, he goes to the kitchen, and he says, you know what? Uh, I don't want to do this, but I have to do this. And he starts just shoving all of the silverware from the kitchen into a sack. And he makes enough noise to wake up the priest. When the priest comes and confronts him, Jean Valjean punches the priest, knocks him out cold, quickly stuffs the rest of the, uh, of the silverware in his, in his, in his bag and, and heads out of town. The next chapter starts with him being walked back down that road by the authorities. They've caught him. They're holding the bag of silverware. The nuns who had fed him the night before uh, see Jean Valjean and said, that's him. 
He's the guy. And so the final piece in this, you know, uh, puzzle is, is the priest has to, you know, put the charges on Jean Valjean. So the, uh, the story uh, brings the two together. The priest with his huge welt on the side of his face stands before his attacker who's holding his silverware. And this is what he says. He grabs Jean Valjean by the shoulders and he says, Jean, you forgot the candlesticks. And he goes into his church parish and he goes up to the altar where these gilded silver candlesticks uh, are, are there on the, on the table. And he takes these, these two, probably the most precious uh, pieces uh, that the church owns, he takes both of them and he goes up to the sack and he drops both in the sack and cinches it up and says, here you go, silly man. The cops leave, the nuns leave. It's just Jean Valjean and the priest. Jean Valjean obviously cannot look him in the eye. But the priest grabs his shoulders again and says, Jean, don't ever forget what has happened here today. This is grace. He doesn't say it in those words, but he's, for my purposes, he's saying, this is grace. And grace changes lives. If you're kind of new to the Jesus story, you're sitting in a room full of people who understand that truth. Because every one of us in here is a Jean Valjean. Every one of us in here has robbed from God, rebelled against God, punched God in the face over and over again through our sin, right? And, and we come to God and we know that we are not worthy and we should be punished and we sh his justice should be just poured out on us. But God grabs us by the shoulders and says, you forgot your candlesticks. And he, he gives us his son, Jesus, to be our savior. In Romans 5, 8, it tells us that God demonstrated his love, this love that we're being commanded to show when people, you know, uh, offend us. He says that he showed his love for us and demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, while we were still holding the bag with the silverware, Christ died for us. It's grace. It's grace. The third thing he talks about is that when we're oppressed, we need to fight back with humble service. This is a great one, too. One, if you don't understand the culture and the context and when Jesus is speaking, that you're going to appreciate it. But he says to his crowd, he says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two. Now, there was a law on the books in, in Roman conquered territory, which Israel was at this point, that any Roman soldier could conscript any citizen who had been conquered by Rome to help them carry some load for one mile. They had actually put mile markers along the roads of the, of, of the, the conquered territory so that citizens could understand, I'm going that far, and as soon as I see the stake, I can drop this, and then you can get someone else to pick it up, but I only have to go the one mile. You want an example of this from your Bibles? Jesus is carrying his cross after being beaten all night long uh, towards Golgotha, Golgotha and, and, and one of the soldiers uh, conscripts a guy named Simon of Cyrene, and he says, you carry the cross. This was in compliance with the Roman rule of the one mile, right? And so everybody understood this. And, and, and just so you know, most Jews, understandably, did not like the Romans. They were a conquered people. They were hoping for a Messiah who would come and free them from the tyranny of Rome. So I'm guessing that most Jews who had been, you know, conscripted in this one-mile rule were not enjoying the mile. But Jesus says to them, hey, 
If someone in authority over you requires you to do something, so let's go through those people in our life, your boss, your spouse. <laughs> now we're messing. Your teacher. Uh, anyone who uh, comes to you and, and requires of you to do something. Your mentality should not be, I'll do the very least. Your mindset should be, how far are we going? You want one mile? I'll give you two. Uh, if you own a pickup truck, you understand uh, this story. You, you've received the phone call that is, hey, can you help me move? Anybody ever been in that one? Yeah, when I have my pickup, it's the only thing I, I, I uh, don't miss about having a pickup truck is that phone call. And every time I get that phone call, I talk to whoever wanted me to help them move. Uh, hey, have you got everything packed up? Because I'll help you move stuff, but, you know, just let me know that you're going to do all the work ahead of time so that when I get there, we can just toss stuff in the truck and we can start moving things. Because, you know, it's Saturday. i got other things going on. I work on Saturdays. You know, you understand, right? Sure. <laughs> I want to guess how many times I've come to somebody's house and their assurances have been real. Oh, yeah, everything's packed. Nothing's packed. When I, when I said everything's packed, I meant everything in this one box. Oh. And I walk through the door and I see what will be the rest of my Saturday ahead of me. Everybody, anybody been there? And what, how do you feel in those moments? This dirty, rotten. I know he's an elder, but no, I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's not funny. I'm, I, I got a meeting with those guys tomorrow night. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> but immediately you feel the sense of entitlement. You feel the sense of uh, requirement. I've, I'm being asked to do beyond what I should have to do in this relationship. I mean, you know, uh, we'll put a camera. No, we won't. We can't do this. But, but just if I could, I would, I would let you see the counseling sessions that I have with couples or, or, you know, with anybody who's in some kind of conflict. There's two people typically on either side saying they're asking too much. I shouldn't be made to. And there's some parts where that's true. But most of the time, the person who is digging in is just holding on to something that Jesus is trying to cure us of, this self-entitlement, this love of me. And if we could just understand this, there'd be fewer conflicts in our lives. If someone asks you to go to a mile, keep going. If someone requires of you your tunic, give them your cloak. He kind of summarizes with this last one. When, when asked for something, here's the bottom line. When, when something's required of us, when, when conflict arises, let's just remember who is nothing in this equation. Here's how Jesus kind of finishes this line of teaching. He says, give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. He's basically saying, don't be so precious about yourself and your stuff. Now, again, there's going to be times where we, the Bible also says that we need to be wise as serpents while we're being gentle as doves. We need to be generous and, and willing to give, but we need to be wise in how we do that. I'm not saying that you enable people in your giving to them. Certainly, we see people flying signs at every stoplight here in Brandon or in Tampa. And, and there may be times where it's not wise to give them cash because it might just go into their arm or you know, into the bottle that they drink. But you should, in my opinion, always be ready. As God prompts you to provide for that person however he would have you provide. I, I, I live with a woman who, whose heart goes out to all the people who live on our streets. 
And I know at any time that we see one of them, I might be pulling a U-turn and heading to wherever the nearest Chick-fil-A is and getting a number one meal for that dude uh, before we go on with the rest of our day. Because this is the call of God on our lives, to be generous, to be willing to give whatever it is of our stuff to those who would just receive from us or borrow from us. Why? Because we shouldn't be so particular about me and so worshipful of me and so desirous of what I can have and what is mine. He wants to free us from that. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes this, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. He says, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. You know, that's what goes into a a lot of the conflicts that continue to rage in our lives, just self-deception. I think I'm something when I'm nothing. And I'm not saying you got a poor, you know, self-esteem and you think you're a loser. You're created in the image of God. I'm not going that far. But I am saying that God has created you. God has given to you so that you might be a gift to his world. And if we could just get past ourselves and seek to live as his son lives. In 1 Peter chapter 2, those verses are at the very end, Matthew. It says this. It says, for this is... Uh, for to this you have been called, Paul write, or Peter writes. He says, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Does everybody get that? That Christians are to follow Christ in his example, in his steps, in his methods of living. He goes on, he says, he committed no sin. Oh, well, we're already out there. Sinner, right? Anybody else? But Jesus committed no sin, and even though he was not a sinner, even though he was never the cause of a conflict, even though he never lied, there was no deceit found in his mouth, here's what he did when he was reviled. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. One more passage, one more summary thought. If you haven't been picking up what I've been putting down, let me just put it to you this way. When it comes to conflict, when it comes to us being offended, Revenge is God's business. Love is ours. I'm not on this earth to get even, because even never happens. I'm on this earth to love and to point people to the God who is love, through my love. Paul writes it this way, and I'll leave you with this. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everybody. He says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he is thirsty, you give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. What a great text. It basically says this. You want to you confound the human race? Give love instead of hate. Seek to reconcile instead of getting revenge. It just won't compute with people. And like Jean Valjean, it'll change the arc, the course of their lives when they see the love of God in those who love God. 
come to bear in the conflicts that we face. It's what draws people to the questions that lead them to faith. He says this as he closes here in Romans 12. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So now, as we finish up this morning, can I just have everybody bow their heads in a meditative moment? If you want to stare at me, you can. That's cool. You do you. But here's my hope for us in this next minute or so. Uh, I believe that we're not meant to be hearers of the word, as the scripture teaches us. We're meant to be doers. And so here's the deal. you got relationships, and you got some people that you are eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth with. It's just the nature of your relationship. It started from the very beginning. They were a rival from the, from the outset. Or, or, or maybe it's become that way. It's, it's contentious in your marriage. It's, it's contentious with a kid that lives under your roof. There's people at work who, when you're by yourself and thinking about them, you're just hoping for their ruin. You're rehearsing your speech. Here's the deal. In those relationships, God wants to free you from yourself. He wants to free you from the preservation of yourself. And he wants to release you to love in those situations. So I'm, I'm praying right now, God, would you bring a name or multiple names to the minds of these people in this room and to the minds of those listening to me online? Confront them with their eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth relationship with this person and lead them to love in these relationships. You've, you listen to God and see who he's pointing you to. Father, you created every one of us, everyone standing in this room or listening to us online uh, is, is your creation. You created us for you. 
so that we might be like you and spend eternity with you. And so God, as we continue in this process that you've given us to shed the old us, the the parts of us that would seek to preserve self and worship me, would you God instead uh, take those hearts of stone that are in us and, and, and put your heart inside of us and give us your eyes for the people around us and your love for everyone. Next week, we're going to talk about loving our enemies. Another tough one. But God, that's, that's what you've called us to. That's what you do. Ephesians tells us that every one of us was an enemy of yours and you loved us still. Give us grace in these relationships with these people that you've brought to our hearts. They're perhaps are, are you know, um, needed apologies, uh, conversations of clarification that need to happen this afternoon. I, I pray that people here would have the courage and, and, and the openness to your spirit to enter into those conversations, to seek reconciliation where they've sought revenge and to be freed uh, from that side of ourselves. Help us, God, to um, be the purveyors of your love to a world that desperately needs it. Help, help us to confound and confuse those who expect us to respond with wrath, but instead we give them love. Enable us to do that, God. It is hard. We confess it is near impossible left to ourselves. It is impossible left to ourselves, but because of Christ's presence in us and his power through us, we can honor you with this. Some of us are here this morning, we don't know you yet, so let me just close by praying for them. Lord, I I pray that they would understand that you have uh, loved them from the beginning and that your greatest desire for them is to know you and have life with you. Uh, Father, help them with their questions, with the things that stand in the way of their faith. Help them to wipe those away. And then today, to understand that it's only through Christ that we can have connection with you. We need to admit that we have sinned, that we need to believe that Jesus is the Savior, the solution for our sins, and commit our lives to walking with him by faith. Grant that to those who are listening today who don't know you yet. Lead them to life with you. I pray all of this because of Jesus and in his name. And the church said, amen. Amen. May God go with us this week. Blessings on you.